the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and that's on page 735 of the Bibles that you have, or otherwise somewhere else if it's on your phone or wherever else. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We saw this last week. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Last week, we saw that Jesus, in his time, was radical, unorthodox. He was constantly flipping things on their head. He was avant-garde. He challenged the norms of his day. Like here, Jesus says, it's not the ones that you'd expect who know God. It's not the religious leaders. It's, it's not the experts in Scripture, the teachers of the people. It's not them who've got their names written in heaven. It's the little people who belong to God's kingdom. This is like someone starting a third AFL team for Adelaide and choosing Auskick players to make up the team. You know, to us that sounds ridiculous. It's cute, but it's stupid. And to them back then, it would have sounded ridiculous that God called into his kingdom not the religious leaders, not the generals, not the kings, but the little people the unexpected, the unimpressive. Well, today we get to see what happens when one of the wise and and learned people meet Jesus. One of the people that Jesus says that God has hidden his kingdom from. Look at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, standing up like that was actually a sign of respect in that time. But Luke tells us here that this expert in the Scriptures was being fake because it might look like he's showing respect. 
But he's not asking this question because he feels he has a need that Jesus can help him with. He's asking because he wants to test Jesus. And look at his test in verse 25. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you think about it, it's it's a bit of a strange question, really. I mean, what must you do to get an inheritance from your parents? In my case, the answer is be born to different parents who have money. But generally speaking, at least in most functional families, what must you do to get an inheritance? Well, the answer is nothing. Getting an, an inheritance is about being related to someone. Inheritance is a gift because of relationship rather than something earned. And eternal life is clearly a gift from God in the Bible rather than something earned. There's something a bit wrong with the question. But Jesus goes along with it for now. Except that he turns the question back on the expert in the law and he says, verse 26, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus directs him back to what he's supposedly an expert in, in the scriptures. And so the expert in the law quotes two different scriptures in verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6, 5, more or less. And love your neighbour as yourself. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. At other times, Jesus himself had given these two parts of the law as the greatest commandments of the law. Together, these two beautifully summarise the heart of the entire law. In response to God's mercy, shown to his people, saving them out of Egypt, they were to love God and to love each other. And so, in verse 28, Jesus says to the expert, you have answered correctly. This is a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, Jesus has just said that God has hidden his kingdom from the wise and learned. Just moments earlier in, the, in Luke. And Jesus now says to the wise, learned expert that he's talking to, that he's understood Scripture correctly. But look at what Jesus does next. Just as he's turning to go, Jesus adds in verse 28, do this and you will live. Here's the issue for the wise and the learned. It's not enough to know what Scripture requires of you. Jesus says, we need to do it. The expert sets out to test Jesus but he suddenly finds himself having to test himself. Has he done enough to live? Has he loved God with his all? Has he loved his neighbour as himself? If you were him, would you feel confident to walk away at that point, happy? I wouldn't. And we see that even this expert isn't fully confident either, because look in verse 29 but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Here we see a problem. We, here we start to see what this wise and learned expert is really missing. 
He wants to be confident that he has eternal life, but he thinks the way to be confident is by convincing himself that he's worthy of eternal life. He wants to justify himself. And whenever we approach God like that, as a means to an end, eternal life, as the assessor that we can satisfy, well, we, we stop seeing God as the gracious giver and we start seeing ourselves as the entitled worker. But there's only one way we can possibly consider ourselves as the entitled worker and that is to lower the bar. The Australian version of this, of course, of lowering the bar, it's, it's pretty extreme, our, um, our culture's version. Don't kill anyone, don't rape anyone, be generally a good person and you're more or less right. That's kind of the Australian lowering of the bar. And of course, there are many other versions of this, more, de- more demanding versions like steps or ways or paths that you can follow, religious or otherwise. But every attempt to locate confidence in yourself, it's got the same thing in common. Every attempt to write your own name in heaven must lower the entrance requirements. And that's what this expert in the law tries to do. He thinks to himself, if he can restrict who his neighbour is, then maybe he'll be able to feel justified that he's able to do what's needed to inherit eternal life. But he's missing something critical. Jesus has just said that it's those who follow him who have their names written in heaven. Not written by themselves, but written by God. He's missing that Jesus has just said that unless God reveals his kingdom to you, you're not going to find it. Jesus has just said that he alone knows the Father and he alone reveals the Father to whoever he chooses. Inheriting eternal life is not about what you do, but like all inheritance, it's about who you know. What would you have said if you were in this guy's shoes, in this interaction with Jesus? I know what I would have said. Lord, I'm worried because I know I've failed to love like this and I know I'm going to go on failing to love like this. Is there any hope for someone like me? Why doesn't he say that? Well, it's because what he's really missing is who Jesus is. He's there to test Jesus. It's hidden from him that eternal life is impossible without Jesus. Instead of wanting to justify himself, had he asked Jesus for help, what would Jesus have said? He would have said, follow me and I'll write your name in heaven. But instead, the expert in the law wants to lower the bar And so Jesus turns now to answer his new question. Who is my neighbour? Look at verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away leaving him half dead. Now this is obviously a a parable, a a made-up story to illustrate a point. But it's a very believable story because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious for robbers. There was a steep, narrow part that was surrounded by caves. 
perfect for robbers to hide out in. So the situation that Jesus is describing here was actually a very common one for the time. Jesus goes on in verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Sounds promising, a priest, someone who worked in the temple. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. A Levite's kind of like a step down from a priest, but still someone who served in the temple. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Jesus doesn't tell us their motivations. But I don't think it's that the people would have been thinking, yeah, right, as if a priest would ever do that. This would have been a very believable scenario. It doesn't even take that much for us to imagine why they might leave him behind like that. I mean, think about it. No phones, no ambulance, no police, no hospitals, no social security. I mean, if you stopped for every beat-up person that you found, perhaps you'd never get anywhere. Maybe you'd get attacked yourself on a road like that. Maybe you just don't have the means to help. How can you carry him all the way home? And could you really afford to look after him? He's naked, that's a bit awkward. And you can't really tell if he's a good sort or not. And what if he never fully recovers and he always just kind of hangs around? Now, so far, there's actually nothing that remarkable in Jesus' story. Nothing particularly avant-garde, you know, nothing unorthodox, remarkable and, and radical. To them, this story so far just sounds like a typical kind of anti-establishment kind of story. The experts probably there thinking, yeah, yeah, Jesus is taking a swipe at us, learned and privileged leaders of Israel. Everyone knows that the next character in the story that's coming down the road is going to be the simple faithful Israelite, the non-elite, one of the little children that Jesus says God has chosen to be a part of his kingdom. But then the twist comes in verse 33. Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. To a Jew, a Samaritan was actually worse than an enemy. Think what Steve Dixon is to the Queensland Liberal Party right now. He's just defected from the Liberal Party to One Nation. He's worse to them than a Labour Party MP. Well, to Jews, Samaritans were worse than Gentiles, worse because they'd corrupted the truth. They'd taken their scriptures, their religion, and they claimed that they'd got it right and the Jews had got it wrong. But look at how this Samaritan responds when he sees the man lying there in verse 33. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. See what it is that drives him to be a neighbour to this person? It's not the bonds of friendship. It's not the bonds of, of race or nationality or religion. It's simply the bonds of humanity. His compassion overlooks every other barrier and look at the depths of his compassion verse 34 he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine in a real life scenario this would probably have meant ripping up his head covering and his his own garments to do that 
and oil and wine would mean that he'd have less to eat and drink. But his compassion doesn't stop there. Verse 34, Jesus says, Then he put the man on his own donkey. He would have had to walk the long road, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. He pays for probably 24 days of care at the inn. And had he washed his hands of him at that point, the man could well have found himself recovered, but facing a debt that if he'd exceeded what the Samaritan had paid at the inn and would have been sold into slavery in a real-life situation to pay for his debt. But this Samaritan's mercy seems to know no limits because he says to the innkeeper in verse 35, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This guy's mercy is astounding. I mean, its depths are beautiful but daunting. Now, having told this parable, Jesus turns the expert's question, who is my neighbour? He turns that question back on him and he changes its focus completely. Look at what he says in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Who was a neighbour? Not who is, but who was. The expert in the law at this point can see what any little child could see but he can't even bring himself to say the words Samaritan. So in verse 37, he replies, the one who had mercy on him. And again, Jesus says to the expert in the law, it's not enough to just know the right answer. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Essentially in this parable, Jesus has said to the expert in the law and to his disciples who are listening in, and through them to us, don't seek to narrow down who your neighbour is so that you can limit your obligations. Don't try to narrow down who your neighbour is so that you can limit your duty to people. Seek instead to be a neighbour, showing extreme mercy. Jesus, he raises the bar exceptionally high. Who is our neighbour? Anyone we come across, anywhere is our neighbour, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of anything. Jesus says our question shouldn't be, is this person my neighbour? Our question should be, am I being a neighbour to this person? Now, this encounter with the expert in the law and with Jesus, it says different, slightly different things to different people. Actually, it says very different things to different people. To the person who's trying to justify themselves, it says you can't do it by lowering the bar. The bar will always stay impossibly high. But for followers of Jesus, this encounter says something completely different. To those who are already confident that their names are written in heaven because of Jesus, not confident in themselves, confident in Jesus... To them, it says God desires mercy from us, not to earn his mercy, but to respond to his mercy. So the follower of Jesus feels motivated, whereas the self-justifier feels defeated. 
The person who wants to justify themselves looks at their neighbour with the eyes of reluctant duty. And they think that God's just like them. They think that God looks on us with the eyes of reluctant duty and gives us eternal life because he's obligated to. Whereas Jesus says God looks on us with the eyes of compassion and wants to give us eternal life freely as a gift because he loves mercy and he wants us to be just like him, to look on others with the same eyes of mercy. Don't forget the context in which Jesus tells this story. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. He's on the way to die for lost, wounded people. The Samaritans' mercy is astounding, but Jesus' mercy is overwhelming. Jesus is a neighbour to us like no other. Jesus dies for his enemies, pours out his own life to offer eternal life to us freely. And as Jesus' disciples are listening into this exchange with the expert in the law, Jesus is teaching them that God wants from them to be a neighbour like that, to do mercy in response to his mercy. As we finish, it's worth asking ourselves, as followers of Jesus, as people who are confident in him that our names are, are written in heaven, How are we going at showing mercy that's motivated by His mercy? How are we going at at being a neighbour? Often we think we can't be a neighbour to everyone. And that's right, but that's not what Jesus is saying, is it? Jesus is saying to His followers, we're to be a neighbour to anyone, anyone we come across. Who's in front of our eyes who needs our compassion? At TNE, our mission statement goes like this. We want to be known for our love, overflowing in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world. Not a soft, sentimental love, but the same deep, honest, courageous love with which God has loved us in Jesus. Loving God as we trust obey and glorify Jesus with all of our lives. Loving God's people at T&E as we welcome, disciple and equip one another, sharing life together. Loving the Northeast as we connect, serve and evangelise to see people saved. That's the long version. The short one is loving God, loving God's people, loving the Northeast. It's a bit easier to remember. (laughs) But we want to be a church that's known for our love. Not because it makes us look good, but because that's what Jesus wants his followers to be. God's love, producing love in us. God's mercy, producing mercy in those who follow Jesus. How are we going at this? It's going to look different, isn't it, for different people in our different situations. It's got to start at home and it's got to start with our literal next-door neighbours. But for us, it doesn't end with those who can return the favour. Our compassion belongs even with strangers, Jesus says. When we meet a refugee who, who arrived on a boat, the question is not whether they are our neighbour, but whether we are being a neighbour to them. 
when we meet a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Jehovah's Witness or a liberal Christian. The question is not whether they are our neighbour, but whether we are being a neighbour to them. When we meet someone with serious mental health issues or someone who's just out of prison or someone who thinks very differently to us, someone who's gay, someone who's an outspoken atheist. The question is not whether they are our neighbour. The question Jesus asks us is whether we are being a neighbour to them. Are we? We need to be people who show compassion regardless of any factor that could divide us. We show compassion because we love a God who loves compassion. Jesus' mercy to us producing mercy in us. Let's pray and ask God for help in this massive calling. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus, the love that he showed, the extreme compassion that when he looked upon us and saw our need, our desperate situation, that he didn't abandon us, that instead he marched on that road to Jerusalem, determined to die in our place, to give his life for us. Lord, his mercy is astounding and that we're called to show mercy like that is daunting. And yet, Lord, you are a powerful God and your Holy Spirit at work in us does amazing things. We ask, Lord, that through him, you would transform us to show mercy like Jesus. Lord, help us to not ask who is our neighbour, but to ask ourselves if we're being a neighbour to those around us who need us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.